welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, you guys. Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. Oh, shoot. I thought I just hit my mute button. (laughs) What is... What is my spiritual team trying to tell me? Maybe to shut my big mouth. Oh, you guys. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Hopefully I'm going to be able to keep my thoughts straight. Uh, If you're somebody who follows me on social media or you're friends with me on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you may have seen my posts um, from the last couple of days that we unexpectedly lost one of our beloved furry kids, our pup, Quincy Magoo. So you know how grief is, like my brain still feels a little scrambled. Um, So I I wrote down a couple of notes and things, and um, there's so many things I could talk about, you know, so many things I can talk about. Um, But before I dive into all that, let me just say thank you to anybody who took the time to send us a, a thoughtful note or a kind word or you know, a text message or a Voxa or whatever. It's just so sweet of you. And animal lovers get it. You know, animal lovers, they just understand that this is the hard part. And when it's unexpected, when you, you know, we thought Quincy was going to be around for uh, at least, I mean, he was 12 years old, but this, this was something that just totally came out of the blue and kind of knocked us on our ass a little bit. Um, I'm always somebody who's going to get back up (laughs) like P.S., and I'm giving myself time to kind of process the new experience of not having his little pug body, you know, here <laughs> at the house. So I'm going to do my best to keep my mind uh, on track here with what I wanted to say. And so I printed out some um, little quote cards and things that I want to talk about. So um, I think I'll just maybe call this one, tell it like it is. Uh, which is kind of like a wink because you're going to see why, what I mean by that in a minute. And so I've got a a funny little story that's, um, uh, I don't know if, I don't know yet or not if it's actually even connected to what I'm going to talk about ultimately. Uh, But you'll see why I'm going to tell it in a minute, just because it fucking makes me laugh and I could use a good laugh right now. (laughs) Okay. So some of you may or may not know that I used to have a TV show for like 13 years. And it was on uh, CCTV, Concord TV here in Concord, New Hampshire. And it was called The Yoga Show with Karen. And uh, there was also another show that was on the same network. So I had that show for 13 years, you guys. I, I should do a whole show about what it was like to have that show. But suffice it to say, it was actually, I don't say this like with a big, you know, it was, it was local access cable TV. So it's not like I'm going to get, it's like, think like Wayne's world, right? So I'm not going to get a big head. I don't, I'm not saying this from a big ego place, but it was a wicked popular show. And it went into over like 15,000 homes and businesses and state institutions, including the men's prison. <laughs> That's a story for another time. But um, 
Another show that was also on CCTV or Konkin TV was a show called Tell It Like It Is. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this anonymous. I mean, obviously, you could Google it if you wanted to. But it was really just a local access show with a lovely woman uh, who um, was a small business owner at the time. I don't know if she still is. Uh, and she would bring on other people who were like self-employed or small business owners or entrepreneurs or solopreneurs or whatever. So they could tell it like it was like they could share what it was like to to have that gig, to do that job, to be a business owner. What was it like, et cetera, et cetera, working for yourself. Uh, at least that's how I remember it. OK, I hope I'm getting my facts straight. And so she decided to have myself. So it was like three yoga teachers. OK, one was a studio owner. <laughs> And the other two of us were yoga teachers who taught at that studio. And I may or may not at this point, I think I might have already had my own studio at this point, but I used to teach at that studio. Plus I had the TV show, right? So she knew me. So she invited me on the show and it just turned into, it was such like uh, at the time, you know, when you just want to go awkward, like this is wicked awkward. I just remember sitting there on the set a set that I had been on like a thousand times, you know, over 13 years sitting in the chair, but now I'm on the other side. Like I'm the one like being interviewed. And it, like I said, it's the, it's the studio owner, another yoga teacher and myself. And the other yoga teacher is a dude that um, I used to be friends with. Um, we weren't so friendly at the time of the taping. Um, and so he, all I'm going to say is this, I'm not, I'm not going to name names or do anything bad. All I'm going to say is this, is that the host of the show was not like a yoga person into yoga. I, I cannot speak for their spiritual life or their spiritual traditions or what their faith is or whatever the thing was. Um, but the other yoga teacher was like kind of forcing this moment of like meditation and mindfulness and presence. And she was just not really digging it. And the whole thing, like if I have, I actually have a VHS cassette tape of that show still somewhere here in my house. I said to my sweetie, someday we're going to have to pull that sucker out and look at it because it was so awkward and uncomfortable. And I would just love to see my body language and what my face was doing. Because one thing I can say about me is I usually cannot hide at all what I'm feeling on the outside. Like my face, like, you know, I literally have to say to myself sometimes, like, don't move your face and <laughs> keep your face neutral, keep your face neutral. But it just made me think of it because the name of the show was called Tell It Like It Is. All right. So I hope you enjoy. Just, just try to imagine KK sitting on this little panel and all you want to do is just like make it stop. You know, it was so, oh my God, it was so painful. But now, you know, it was, it was funny. Like when I left, I was like, holy shit. Like it was hysterical to me. Oh, I'll have to tell you guys, I'll have to report back if I uh, find that tape. Okay, and we're back. Moving on, though. So why I want to call this Tell It Like It Is is because something that I've been thinking quite a bit about is, you know, so often when people talk about, like, wanting to come to work with me or why they think I'm their mentor or their coach or why they want to be in a mentorship relationship with me, uh, one of the things I often hear people say to me and about me is that, you know, with KK, you're just going to get it like it is. She's going to tell you like it is. She's going to tell it like it is. And I, I hear that all the time, um, you know, that I'm a direct person, loving, I, loving, 
loving yet direct, loving but firm. I just kind of speak my mind and say say what say what I got to say. Uh, I try to deliver it, obviously, deliver whatever's going to come out of my mouth, hopefully in a mindful, in a mindful, in a loving way. Can't say I 100% get that right. But it's just about this thing where people say she's going to tell it like it is. And the thing that I often hear in my mind when I hear somebody say that to me or about me, and I now actually correct them. And what I say to them is this. I mean, first of all, um, I appreciate that they see me as a straight shooter. I appreciate that they appreciate that I, um, you know, try not to beat around the bush. And, and sometimes you can't just say the thing, right? Sometimes it's not the right time or the right place where it's not appropriate to, or it's just like, what's the fucking point? Because this person can't hear this anyways, right? So that's, a, that's, a, that's another whole thing. But one of the things I'd like to just kind of tweak what they're saying is this, and this is, this is wicked important. So cozy on up to your earbuds <laughs> is that, is that it's not that I tell it like it is, I tell it like I am. This is a very important distinction because the only being, the only thing, the only I mean, how do you even put God, <laughs> source, the creator, the, the the divine? How do you even put it in words? It's such, words are so lacking. And I'm a writer and I fucking love words, but words can be so lacking to try to describe what that is, what it is, right? But the only thing that knows how it is, is it. So us humans, we can't actually tell it like it is is we can only tell it like we see it. They often say about me, she tells it like she's, you know, she, she tells it like it is. I'm like, no, I tell it like I see it. But that involves me and my perception and my eyeballs and my point of view and my experiences and my history and my filters and whatever. So it's a very clear distinction because what it is and what's really going on in any given moment, you know, that people always say, well, I'm just telling my truth, you know, and I'm like, you know, this whole thing about telling my truth, I should do a, maybe a whole episode about that too. Just my thoughts about that. I don't know if I have enough thoughts about it to do a whole episode. It'd be like maybe a four minute episode. <laughs> But that whole my truth thing is it's like, yeah, there's that. It's good. It's good that that word my is in there because there's truth with a capital T, which is eternal, unchanging, like the truth. And then there's how you see it, how you see it. And I've talked about this before on the show, right? Especially if you grew up in a family of more than one, especially if you grew up with siblings, you know, if you, if you ask your siblings to repeat a particular moment when you were all at the table or in the car or at the event or whatever, the situation, the, the quote unquote incident, you know, it's like witness statements. When they take witness statements, it's like everybody's going to see things from their own point of view. And so those of you who aren't, who aren't watching, who are just listening, I'm going to hold up this little cartoon that I absolutely love, which is going to really make my point for me. And I'll describe it for the listeners who uh, aren't watching this. So I'm holding up this little picture and it's a little, I mean, it's a cute little rhinoceros. I, it's a cartoon and I can't read. The artist's name is like Selkirkadum. Sel, I can't even say. 
Selkukerdim. I'm not sure. Um, but you can see see it right down there, and the website is right there. Um, but so it's this little rhinoceros, and he's out on the like the Sahara. He's out like in the the Serengeti, and he's painting. And he's got a little like palette of paints in his hand, and a little um, paintbrush in his other hand, a little bucket of paint, and some canvases and paint tubes at his feet. And all of his paintings that he's creating, and there's four of them. It's like there's one about the tree that he's painting in the distance, some birds that he that he painted, and then there's also one he apparently did a painting of like um, a basket of fruit. <laughs> But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Here's the best part. Every single painting in it, in the forefront, is like his horn, his rhinoceros horn. So every landscape, everything that he sees is from this particular perspective because he's got a big horn in front of his eyeballs and in front of his face. So, of course, that's how he sees it. He sees everything with, with his, like, you know, for lack of a better word, his like nose, his thing in front of everything. So he's painting the world. So he clearly sees the world different than say that from the perspective of a giraffe, a giraffe sees a perspective as it is, how it is for a giraffe from way up high is way different than it is for a little mouse on the ground. Think about how different it is like from a bird's perspective as it is from a dolphin's perspective, right? So dolphins don't tell it like it is. Dolphins tell it from the dolphin experience. And it got me to thinking about this because so often we expect people to see things the way that we do. And I think if we're looking at an outside authority to tell us how it is or how it should be, we're going to get ourselves in trouble because we can only take in, like if we're trying to take in from another person's perspective, and that's why I'll often say to people, you know, I can only tell you, in, like on the show, you've heard me say, I can only share from my own experience because I don't know what it's like to be anything other than myself. And while I do think that I'm, that I'm pretty good at being able to put myself in other people's shoes, uh, as a writer, I have a pretty, you know, vivid imagination, and I think that I can imagine what it must be like to fill in the blank. But I'll never know what it's like to be a, a person of color in this lifetime. I can't possibly know what it's like to be gay or transgendered or to be uh, blind or like think of all the different ways. I don't know what it's like to be a, a gazillion a gazillionaire. Like I don't know what it's like to live in Africa. I mean, I can visit a place, right? But I'm not going to know what that experience is like. So I think it's really important that we just kind of not get too caught up in the authority figures of, of people who we think know more than us. And now sometimes, of course, in particular skill sets, right? Like let's say somebody is a mason or somebody is a contractor or somebody is a welder or whatever. Um, or a chef or what, you know, they're obviously going to have certain skill sets, you know, that they, they, they know more than me about building things or creating, you know, uh, amazing food or whatever, whatever, whatever. But they don't know better than me how it is to be me and what's best for me. So I think it's really important. So I wanted to share something that, uh, that we keep that in mind. Okay. And something that Einstein said that 
I thought was really powerful. He says, the world as we see it is only the world as we see it. Others may see it differently. Others not only may see it differently, clearly take a look around the world right now. Take a look at, uh, you can just pick anything. I, I don't even need to go there. You can just pick anything where there are two differing sides of, of, of opinions political parties, like whatever. You could even get down to, I like chocolate ice cream. I like vanilla ice cream, right? Whatever the thing is. The world as we see it is only the world as we see it. Others may see it differently. And if we don't leave a little bit of breathing room for the fact that not everybody sees things the way that we do. And I, and I can't tell you how many times I've enjoyed being wrong. <laughs> And it's why I continue to be a student of life and sometimes a student of um, other people, other people's materials, other people's, you know, point of view, other people's trainings, because, you know, they might, even if there's something I have been saying for like 20 years or been practicing for 20 years, somebody else might just come in and just like, boom, say something slightly differently. And I'm like, oh my God, I never would have thought of it that way. You know why? I couldn't because I'm not them. I'm not them with their particular skill set, their particular life, their particular traumas, their particular upbringing, their particular parents, their particular um, home life, school life. Did they go to church? Not, right? So I love getting uh, another POV, another point of view. I love hearing from other people. Doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with them. Doesn't mean I'm going to get on board their way of thinking, but I actually just like to hear it because I think, oh, shit. Man, that just expands. Like sometimes I feel like, as crazy as this sounds, I feel like I can literally feel my mind just, just grow a little bit, just expand a little bit. It gets a little more spacious. There's a little more room to get out of the me and how I see things and to, to know that there's a greater cosmic perspective. And, you know, I often talk about, you've heard me say this before, I'm sure, if you've listened to more than one episode, how I like to think is of, of like, um, a, like a kaleidoscope and how we think these, 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 this picture looks this way, but man, you just tweak that. You just turn that kaleidoscope a tiny bit and it's like all the things tumble differently. And it's like, whew, you're looking at a totally different picture. And I think that's what the human experience is. And so um, I want to dive into this also about not telling it like it is, but telling it like I am, right? I tell it like I see it which is only from my point of view, which is this fascinating thing that I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, and it's a combination. So I'm going to come at you right now from a combination of like from a philosophical point of view, from um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, from an author's point of view, from uh, maybe a, uh, what would you call Stephen Covey? <laughs> I don't know, motivational teacher or speaker. Um, and then also from A Course in Miracles. And, and then also some little science, because I think this is really cool. Um, okay, so, all right. So I, I try to look at this from um, who's the oldest here. So um, Rene Descartes, some of you might know who Rene Descartes is. He was a, Jesus, I think he was born in the 1800s, uh, but he was a philosopher and he was a mathematician and he was a scientist. Um, and I'm just kind of, Sometimes you'll find, I don't mean to be redundant. I just like to say things from different points of view and different sources so that you then get to decide what you believe for yourself. 
Um, so I don't always like to come on it and say like, yeah, sure. I'm going to share what I think and what, what, what my experience has been. And, and I always say, I reserve the right to change my mind. This is what I think and feel right now, but <laughs> subject to change hashtag things may uh, change. Okay. So Renee Descartes, who, like I said, 18, 1890 or something like that. I don't know. Wicked, wicked long time ago, but he said this, we do not describe the world we see. We see the world we can describe. Ooh, we do not describe the world we see. We see the world we can describe. We can describe. So what this is telling me, it's right in line with like what A Course in Miracles, which I'm going to share in a minute. What it also says is that we think we see the world and then we think that we can describe what we're seeing. Um, but really what we, what all we can actually see is what we have the capacity to describe which means what's in there, right? Which is often like what the brain has held on to, what the subconscious has held on to. You know, in A Course in Miracles, we say perception makes uh, projection, sorry, correct. Projection makes perception. So what we project out onto the world from our mind, all right? Like what we believe, what we think, what our identity is, who we think we are, how we think the world is, what thought system are we coming from, love or fear? Whichever thought system or teacher we're choosing, and I'll circle back to this in a minute, is what we're going to perceive out there. And that's kind of what, in a, in a roundabout way, what Rene Descartes is saying is that we don't describe the world we see. It's not like, oh, we see it out there first and then we can describe it. He's saying what we're actually going to describe is what we already see internally. So the world, A Course in Miracles says, is an outward picture, an outward reflection of an internal condition, of an internal kind of what I would call pathology or psycho, psycholo, psychological, that's not a word, psychologically, like how we think what's going on within us is what we will perceive, as I would say, without us or, you know, out there. And something I will never forget, just kind of stopping in my tracks, um, when I learned something about the eyes, the actual eyeballs in our head in the physical body that I found fascinating, and I'll tell you that in a second. So we have Rene Descartes saying that, right? We have Einstein dropping his little wisdom. Then we have Rene Descartes saying this, but um, Anais Nin. So Anais Nin, you may or may not know who she is, um, but she was uh, also a, an author and a writer back in the day. And she said this, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. So this is really important. Now, again, I'm just kind of repeating it, but I'm telling you, this is coming down through the ages from different people have picked this up and put it down for us. They laid it down for us. And so we see it as we are. So now this is where it gets interesting, extra in interesting for me, because what the question I start to ask myself is, well, then who am I? This like who we are, well, wh how I am, right? So then I'm thinking to myself, well, how am I? Who is the I that I am? And then how am I in my personality and the way that I think and the way that I believe the identity I've created? Uh, what have my experiences been? What's my history? What are the stories I've told myself about myself, my experiences in the world? Because our experiences are actually um, neutral. Our experiences are neutral. I wrote this at some point. I don't even remember one, but I just basically said our experiences are neutral. 
But what we do, and especially because I'm a writer, I love, I love this language. This is how I, this is how my brain thinks is that we kind of write upon our experiences. We have these experiences, we have these situations, we have these things that happen. And then we interpret them, we give them meaning, we write upon them, whatever that experience is. And then we go ahead and we assign a story to that thing and what we think the narrative of, like, that's what that meant. That's what actually happened. Oh, well, my father left or my mother left or this person did that. And this is what it means. We write upon a very neutral experience where I think the world and the universe is very actually neutral. And it's us that kind of interprets it and puts meaning on things. It's our perception of things. Uh, so again, it's, it's not that I tell things like it is. I tell things like I am. And I will say this. It sounds like I just feel like I'm like, I'm not being braggadocious when I say these things. I, you know, it's like when Liam Neeson, you know, in his movies taken, when he's talking to the people that kidnapped his daughter and he says something like, um, I have a particular set of skills. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, basically he's saying, I'm going to come and kick your ass. Or maybe he means he's going to come and kill them. I don't know. But all he's saying is I'm going to come and I'm going to retrieve my daughter. Like you have no idea about what I'm about to do. But what he's really saying is I have a particular set of skills and I have a particular set of skills. Um, some, some came out of total base need survival trauma, right? Having to survive, being hypervigilant, hyper aware of my environment, being aware of other people's body language, other people's moods. Um, as a storyteller, I'm really wicked good at being able to listen for stories, to listen for beliefs, to listen for how people see themselves and the world and how they're being treated by the world. What's the meaning that we're, they're laying upon things, right? Um, I'm somebody who I can always get better at being a listener. Don't get me wrong. I'm always working on that, but I'm a pretty good listener and I'm able to kind of see and take things in and sometimes take in what's not being said. You know what I mean? So, and like I said, there's a thousand skill sets I don't have, but these are happen to be um, skill sets that, that I'm, I'm pretty good at. And so um, I'm able to kind of like pay attention and notice these things. And so often what I notice is I notice how I'm like, oh, they see this thing like this. What they haven't done is looked at it from this point of view. And that's the unique perspective that I can bring into people's worlds as a spiritual mentor is saying, well, okay, here's your problem or here's the thing or here's the story you're telling me or this what's going on. Have you thought about it like this? Have you looked at it like this? This is what I'm seeing. Here's a, a new, fresh perspective. You can take it or leave it, but this is kind of like what I'm seeing. And if there's enough trust there, that if, if the relationship has been developed enough that they trust me, they might actually be able to heal me, hear me. Because what I, all I'm trying to do is to help people to end their suffering, to help them to get the fuck out of their own way and their old patterns of thinking, because this world has created a thought system for us that is based on fear. And what I like to do is to help people to shift their perception. That's what a miracle is. And of course, a miracles tells us a shift in perception from fear to love. So if we can shift our mind, we can move from that limited point of view to the limitless. We can tap into something greater than our own very limited perspective to go to what we call, I said, the only thing that knows what it is, is it. And what, what spiritual mentorship does is it creates a capacity. And um, this is why I'm so excited. Like I just, I just got like, I just got this rush in my body. If you were watching, you just saw me like pause. Cause it was like, woo. Um, 
I'm creating a new program specifically for entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, small business owners, community leaders, um, people who lead other groups of people um, in, in spiritual mentorship, meaning I, I, I'm, I'm creating a program of spiritual mentorship and um, some other cool things, which I'll tell you more about soon, um, specifically for this, because I know that when leaders leaders, and whether that's you're a leader of a team in your business, or you actually have employees underneath you, or you are a solopreneur, but you have a Facebook group or a membership or whatever, you know, shit trickles downhill. So we want the leaders of leaders to really be in the like locked into the understanding of who they really are, their spiritual identity, not these physical body identities, so that they can be making decisions and choices from a greater place of knowing. And so, yeah, I'm glad I mentioned that because it ties right into this whole thing because we don't lead, we, we lead from who we are, who we think we are. So if we have some stuff that we haven't reconciled, if we have some old stories and some old beliefs that are limiting or aren't serving us, right? How can we like, it's not that you can't show up for others, of course you can, um, but just think about the impact and the power of being able to learn how to show up fully as yourself and shift your mind from fear to love. So I just want to say this, Anais Nin, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. And that's the question I love to get into with people. Who are you? Who are you really? And to whom do you belong? And where are you coming from? What is this perspective? So I want to move to, um, something that I found so fascinating. I had hinted at this and I know I mentioned this before on another podcast episode, but I think it's really cool because we talk about, oh, she tells it like she sees it. So listen to this. So Humans of New York, if so, those of you who, a lot of you might know what Humans of New York is. If you don't, Google it or find, find the page on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. But Humans of New York is this really cool guy that started this project where he would just walk around New York and he would take pictures of other people and he would start conversations and basically extract these incredible stories from people. So I'll, I'll just hold this one up so you can just see it. So what you're seeing right now is two gentlemen, um, two guys, both in khakis, both in blue shirts. One's wearing a, a khaki jacket. One has glasses. One has white hair. They're both white guys. Um, and they're sitting on a park bench in New York. And this is from Humans of New York. And he stops him, the photographer, right? Asks him, asks these guys, like, who are you? What do you guys do? He finds them interesting, right? Uh, and he says, this is what their response is. And I love this where eye doctors like eyeballs, right? They're eye doctors. And the question the photographer asked them is, well, what's something about the eye, the human eye, right? That most people don't realize. And this is what they say. And I can't tell you how excited I got <laughs> when I heard their answer, because it just went really right along with so much of what I have um, learned through A Course in Miracles, what I have learned just through my lifetime, um, which is so fascinating. Listen to this, you guys. This is what they say. The eye, like your eyeball, your eye doesn't see. Let that sink in for a second. Our whole life we've been told, right? Our five senses, our ears here, you know, our fingers, our skin, whatever it feels, this tactile sensory um, we can have taste right in the mouth, our nose smells, but our eyes see. Okay. Our whole lives we've been told our eyes are what we see through. This is what they say. The eye doesn't see. 
The brain is what actually sees. The eye just transmits. So I'm like, holy shit. So the eyes are basically like the, 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 the little picture takers. The eyes just kind of like scan the environment and they see whatever they see. They see light and pixels and reflections and, you know, all this stuff. But it's the brain that sees. The eyes are just the portal that transmits the information to the brain. And so here's what else they say. So what we see isn't only determined by what comes through the eyes. Just buckle up for safety for this next part, you guys. What we see is affected by our memories, our feelings, and by what we've seen before. Oh boy. The first time I read this, it was like double amen hands. Hallelujah. Because A Course in Miracles has been telling me for the last 30 years that human eyes don't see, ears don't hear, the brain doesn't think. Like, it's just like, wait, what? So much of this, you guys, is about perception and interpretation. And I'm going to get into that into a second. Okay. So human eyes don't see, the brain sees, the eye just transmit. What we see isn't only determined by what comes through the eyes. What we see is affected by our memories, our feelings, and by what we've seen before. And this is why I say to people, when we're in relationship with others, we almost never see them as they actually are. We're seeing them through the lens of our history, their old bullshit, the stories we've written about them, our feelings about them, our past, right? Oh my God, they remind me of so-and-so. So it's like, it's never, almost never, ever, ever a clean slate. We're almost never meeting like, oh, this, this drinking thing or, oh, this pen, right? Because I already have all these associations with a pen and then a red pen because that's what I'm holding up. Oh, and the, and, and the colors that are also on the pen, right? We're never just usually experiencing things from that place of wonder. Like, you know how children are just like, whoa, whoa. Like the first time maybe they see the ocean or the stars or a comet or, you know, a, a dog or like whatever. That's why like children have such innocence about them. They have this innocence that basically over time they lose by being in the world. But who we are truly at our core, at our essence, is that innocence. That's why in A Course in Miracles and somewhere Jesus says something like, see like a child sees. Like go right back to that beginner's mind where everything is fresh and new. See it with clarity. See it with clear eyes. Don't see it through all like the philo facts of your bullshit in your head. <laughs> Right. That's why there's a line somewhere I'm paraphrasing that basically says anytime you do not bring, I call it drag. Anytime you don't bring or drag your past into the present moment, you are reborn. And I think this is how our relationships can be reborn sometimes, too. Now, this doesn't mean that you just forget, especially if somebody has been harmful to you or abusive to you or, you know, like brutal to you, violent to you. It's not like we just go like, oh, Pollyanna, like blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that. You got to keep yourself safe and be smart. But so often we're not really in the present moment because we're bringing all of our history with us. And so I think that it's really, really important. And so then Stephen Covey, let's get to him. He says this, and then I'm going to circle back about something else I want to say about perception. 
Stephen Covey, which really, so that you can see how things get passed down through time, right? How like Rene Descartes may have an idea and then Aeneas Nin has an idea and then Einstein says it and then some self-help guy, you know, um, motivational, whatever person, author, writer, speaker, Stephen Covey, right? Stephen Covey's a smarty pants dude. I, I, I dig him. So, but you can just kind of see how information, um, you know, starts somewhere and then gets kind of picked up through the collective consciousness. He says, we see the world not as it is, but as we are, or as we are conditioned to see it. When we open our mouths to describe what we see, we in effect describe ourselves, our perceptions, and our paradigms. This is so powerful. I'm going to reread it. It's worth rereading. We see the world not as it is, but as we are, or as we are conditioned to see it. When we open our mouths to describe what we see, we in effect describe ourselves, our perceptions, and our paradigms. Jesus Christ, do I love this. So here's the thing, you guys. I'm going to attach that or connect that, not attach it, but connect it to something that is said in the Course in Miracles in chapter 21. Chapter 21 is like the responsibility for sight. And there's a line in there that, um, that says in chapter 21 that says, I am responsible for what I see. I am responsible for what I see. And I, I want to break this down a little bit. It's really, you know how you guys have heard me say before in the past, in A Course in Miracles, it talks about how we really only have two emotions, love and fear. That's it. So anything that is not that true, and I'm talking like true, unconditional, pure, divine love. I'm not talking about human fickle love. I'm talking about like all the love there is, like God level love, divine level love, unconditional, right? Which we often experience. I think one of the things circling back to Quincy Magoo, why it can be so hard to lose our beloved um, furry kids and our furry friends and our animals and our pets and our companion, furry companions. People call them many different things. To me, they're family members. But when we lose one of our furry kids, it's because so often and so clearly and so uncomplicatedly, um, our animals are the walking embodiment of unconditional love. And we feel that. And um, there is nothing that can really replace it. And I, I go so far as to say that here's KK telling it like I am, not as it is, but as I am, because this is showing you my beliefs, my perspective, perspectives and my perception is that I believe that, um, you know, what the, what it often creates when we, when we grieve an animal that has passed, what we're also grieving is that unconditional love, which we so often do not experience here in this illusionary world that we've created. What we're really seeking is the memory of God's love. Whatever you happen to call that, you might not call it God. You might call it source, the divine, the beloved goddess, uh, universe, higher power, highest self, divine intelligence. You know, I don't give a shit what you call it. <laughs> But this is the thing that we're actually seeking. And every once in a while, we get a glimpse of it or a taste of it. And it, it breaks our hearts. Like when we feel, when we feel like, oh, the absence, that absence, because we experienced it in this little furry body or this little feathered body or whatever, you might have little fish that you love and it breaks your heart when they pass because we know that something, it feels like something, um, 
something that we can't even sometimes describe, right? Like the, the words don't do it justice. Um, and what it is for me is that it's the memory of God's love and that desire that we seek to feel that wholeness and holiness and completeness. And every once in a while, we get a little, a little, little sip of it. And then it's just like, oh man. And I'm not saying, again, it's not how everybody might view it, but I'm telling you, telling it like I am. <laughs> See what I did there? Oh, all right. So here's the thing. So in A Course in Miracles, it says I'm responsible for, for, um, I'm responsible for what I see. Um, and I'll stop back again. All right. There's love or there's fear. That's it. It's another way of saying which teacher, which teacher am I choosing? So, so often we'll say choose love instead of fear. It's another way of saying which teacher am I choosing? Am I choosing the teacher of fear, which is the ego? Or am I choosing the teacher of love, which is Holy Spirit or spirit or the inner teacher, whatever you want to happen to call it? Because whichever one I choose, whichever teacher I choose is going to affect the experience that I have here. So when A Course in Miracles says that human eyes, um, human eyes don't see, what they mean is that what they're saying is that your eyes don't actually see, but what's happening, and it goes back to what the, the eye doctors, the, the brain science people are telling us is that what we have is perception. And then I take it a step further or farther and I say what we have is interpretation. So here's the real question. How do I interpret what I think my eyes see or what my eyes think that they see? Because this is really the key piece, right? How am I interpreting what I'm seeing all around me, what I'm hearing all around me, what I'm experiencing with my five senses, my 3D experience here, right? Like, what am I experiencing? What is the meaning? What is the interpretation? What's my perception? What are the stories that I'm telling about what my eyes think that they see? Because I can interpret them through the lens of love, or I can interpret things through the lens of fear. I can interpret them with the teacher. I can ask Holy Spirit, Spirit, the inner teacher to say, help me to see myself, this person, this experience through love, through kindness, through compassion, through mercy, through grace, through empathy, through patience, through integrity, you know, but wanting, wanting to do what is best and what is right. Or I can choose to see myself, this world, other people, this experience through the lens of the ego, which is like guilt. It is the teacher for guilt and shame and blame and fear and judgment and attack and competition and not enough and scarcity and lack and sin and sickness. Because whichever one we choose as our teacher is what ultimate we also kind of choose as our identity. And if we choose the ego experience as our identity, what the ego tells us we're seeing, we're hearing, we're feeling, we're interpreting, um, the guilt is what our identity is. Our identity will be very guilty, guilt-ridden, or guilt itself. And we hate to feel guilt. So we project it onto other people. We put it, it's in our mind, but we hate that feeling. So we project it onto other people and say, you make me feel this way. This is your fault. You did this to me, right? Oh, that's the blame game. If we choose Holy Spirit or spirit or love as our teacher, then our identity goes back to that childlike innocence that I was talking about. We go back to innocence. And, you know, children are just kind of like, children just kind of usually walk around. I'm not saying all, I, I try not to use all, always, never, you know, things like that. But usually kids are experiencing in a state of wonder, a state of awe, a state of love. Like everything is just like, ooh, <laughs> right? So 
you know, the question we ask ourselves is with whom do I interpret what my eyes see? Who do I want to interpret my experience? My I am, my you are, how I see you. Going back to, I tell it like it is. It's like, no, I tell it like I am. So I'm always working on. This is one thing I, can, I am comfortable using the always. I'm not saying like I get it perfect every friggin' day, every minute of the day. But I'm always working on returning my mind to the memory of God's love that I try to, I really do my best to have a, you know, I do have a daily spiritual practice. And one of the reasons that I do is it allows my, me to slow down my mind long enough to choose, to recognize I'm about to have an insane thought, but to recognize that was an insane thought. You're choosing to see yourself or this person or your circumstance or this situation through a very fucking limited point of view. This is when we need to go high. We need to go vertical. We need to go on high and see from, try to see from a divine perspective. And since we are so limited in these human bodies, this is why a daily spiritual practice is so helpful because it puts us in touch with the part of our mind that is always in communion with God, the part of our mind that has access to that divine intelligence, that infinite intelligence, that limitless possibility where we're not kind of bound by our history and our past and what we think we see. We ask, please help me to see peace instead of this, as A Course in Miracles tells us. So whichever teacher we choose to interpret the world through and with, we can choose ego and fear, we can choose spirit, Holy Spirit, love, Whichever one we choose, that's what we're responsible for. So when A Course in Miracles says, I am responsible for what I see, what it's really saying is I'm responsible for who I choose to try and see the world with. Like what lens, what perspective, which teacher, because whichever one you choose is going to determine the world that you see and the world that you respond and react to. So... I didn't think I had so much to say about all this, but I guess I did because I want to do my best before my time comes to pass when this body falls away and I go on my merry way as spirit, as what I really am. But while I'm here in the illusion, in the dream of having a body in this 3D experience and interacting with other humans and other animals in the environment, in the world around me. I really do hope that I keep getting better and better and better and better at choosing love, at choosing Holy Spirit, at choosing spirit as my teacher uh, to help me to uh, respond to the world that, that my eyes think they see. Because if I can stop long enough to recognize, oh man, like Vicky with two Ks from Lawrence, like that, that part of me that can be very, that ego, like she's got, you know, she's like, boom, dukes up, let's go, right? Um, that's that reaction, that immediate reaction through my subconscious, through the protector. She's the protector part of myself. And sometimes, you know, it, it's good. Like she gets a point of view, but I don't have to act on everything that she thinks she sees and she thinks she hears and she thinks she feels. <laughs> that younger version of me, uh, we like to give her, we try to give her like KK from Lawrence, you know, uh, Vicky from Lawrence, with two, Vicky with two Ks from Lawrence, uh, 2.0. We like to give her a little upgrade once in a while and say, let's expand. Let's expand our consciousness. Let's expand our point of view. Let's try to see this. Uh, not as, and here's the next part. Here's what I'm going to end on. Um, it's not about telling it like it is. 
And on some level, it's not even telling it like I am as a human here. It's about trying to tell it like, tell it like love is. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, even beyond my skill set. Tapping into um, my inner teacher who is beyond my own brain's capacity, my own current mind's capacity. I'm always, always, always hoping to expand my consciousness so that I can tap into the truth. I don't know, man. I hope that um, when I do share, when people do want feedback, when people do want support, that when I am telling it like I am, that they can feel the love behind it and my desire to be helpful and my hope to serve uh, the greater good of all involved. So that's what I got for you, you guys today. I hope you're doing fantastic. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for um, being a part of the Karen Kenny Show family. I appreciate you guys so much. And, um, and again, just thank you to everybody for being so kind and loving and compassionate um, with our loss of Quincy Magoo. Uh, Quincy, Clancy, we called him a lot. We called him a thousand different names. Q, Mr. Magoo. Um, he was just, um, he was a fantastic, incredible little being. And uh, I feel like I saw him very clearly for exactly who he was. And I'm, I'm uh, who he was, was amazing. He was a little, uh, he was a quirky little bundle of love. So, all right, you guys, I hope this was helpful in some way. Um, I'm going to be, like I said, be introducing my new program soon. And if you listen to this and it got you curious or you want to know more about it, just hit me up. You can always send me an email, karen at karenkenny.com. You can also contact me through my website on the contact page and send me a DM, whatever. But I hope some of this resonated with you, got you thinking, got you thinking for yourself. Um, I always say, take what works, leave the rest. There's no chugging any Kool-Aid around here. <laughs> All right, you guys, wherever you go, may you leave yourself, the people, the place, the animals, and the environment better than how you found it. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. guys thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the karen kenny show <laughs> i super duper appreciate your time friendship and support and look if something that i shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours i'd love to hear about it so please tag me on facebook or instagram or ig stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days and let me know what your favorite part was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. -E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. Because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, 
May you be a blessing.